when you can't accept your body, you can't accept anybody else's body either. So you're just in a cycle of negative spiritual pollution with other people thinking that there's some ideal that everyone needs to be reaching. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me, your host, Katie Dalebout. This week, back on the podcast, Jessamine Stanley. She was on a couple years ago when her first book came out, Everybody Yoga. And now she has a second book called Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance. I love Jessamine and I loved this conversation. She is an internationally acclaimed voice and wellness and she is highly sought after for her insights on 21st century yoga and intersectionality identity. She founded the Underbelly since we spoke which is a wellness brand that offers on-demand streaming yoga classes and she is someone who I just really admire. She collects vintage furniture and co-hosts a podcast with her partner and it's really cool. I have been listening and it's been named one of the best sex podcasts by Harper's Bazaar and I've been listening to their chats pretty often and really getting a lot out of it. So we mentioned that. We also mentioned in this episode, you'll hear she was doing like a major press tour so I didn't have very much time with her and what I'm realizing about myself as an interviewer is I do feel pretty confident that just by the sake of practice, I love having these conversations and feel like I've gotten pretty good at it over the years because I started, you know, when I was 22, I'm 31. I've done, you know, nearly 350, getting close to 400 maybe. And because of that, you know, I, I, I know how to have a good conversation. However, I can't keep it tight, (laughs) which will shock no one. I am not great at having a good conversation with time constraints. And I wish I would have had more time with Jessamine. And I do think this is a good conversation and and I hope you haven't stopped listening now, but I I kind of, you know, let everyone in on the fact in, in this conversation, like, that I was feeling, you know, overwhelmed by the time constraint. So anyway, here's my conversation with Jessamine. If you want to go back and listen to a long form conversation with her and get more of her background and her story, we will link to that in the show notes. And at the end of this conversation, you will hear part two with James Michael from Northwest Cherries about cherries and marketing and fruit and connection. And part one of that conversation is in last week's episode with Dana Max. So if you want to go back, listen to that, this will be part two. I'm so grateful to Northwest Cherries. I just got a huge shipment of cherries and I'm going to make something cool with them. I, I made a reel recently that has my friends and I painting with cherries and my favorite dog, Deanie, who if you listen to this podcast, I've been babysitting my friend Deanie's dog recently. And anyway, I love you. I'm so grateful you're here. Just to let you know quickly, we are doing a free summer semester of Creative Underdogs, the workshop that I started, online workshop I started in October of 2020. If you'd like to join, it's a free workshop every single week. The first workshop is on Ayurveda and creativity. Then we're doing one on movement, joyful movement and creativity. It's like a dance class situation. We're doing yoga and journaling as a workshop. And then something about energy, frequency, awareness. It's all led by our members and friends of mine and people I really admire and have worked with. So join us. I would love to see you and it's completely free. And then we'll start a new semester of in process in the fall. Thank you for being here. I will talk to you at the end. 
Jessman, I'm so happy you're here. Congrats on the new book. We were we were chatting a little bit before I pressed record of just I, I trying to think when that was. I think it was well before your first book came out that you did the podcast the first time. And I, I loved that conversation with you so much. And I'm I'm just so happy to to have you back. Same. The feeling is mutual. It's nice whenever there's like we get to talk after there's been a passage of time. And I mean, I feel like for everybody so much, there was life before the pandemic and then there's the life after. And so I'm like so excited to be able to connect in this place and this space and obviously excited to talk about yoke, but I just, I'm thrilled to reconnect. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so nice. Where are you right now? Where are you recording from? So I am in uh, the kitchen of a friend because I, my partner and I have recently moved into an RV and we are planning to travel across the United States and see all 48 continental U.S. states. Wow. We, uh, yeah, it's like, it's a big, that was definitely one of the biggest lessons from the pandemic was to really try to seize the day as much as we can. And also to, to travel as much as we can, because God forbid you're not able to. So, um, that's what, that's, that's where I am. You're in LA. Yeah. Yeah. I just, just moved to, well, I keep saying just moved here, but it was March of 2020, but it just feels new still. (laughs) No, totally. Literally. I feel you. Yeah. So which which of the Continental 48 are you in now? Oh, I'm still in North Carolina, actually. Um, oh, I could have said that at the beginning. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. So you haven't started the no, we're, yet. we're renovating our RV right now. So we this weekend are putting in a composting toilet, which I can, if you're curious, Whoa. I can go into more detail about that. Whoa. But we're like, we're putting in the toilet, we're painting, we're just like getting everything settled and before we go ahead and head out. And we've chosen a route where we're able to see all 48 continental states, but see a landmark in each state. And the first landmark that is closest to us is the Wright Brothers Memorial and Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And I'm a born and bred North Carolinian, but I've never been to the Outer Banks. So I'm excited to be able to like get out there and see this brand new thing. Oh, I love that so much. Well, I hope maybe I get to see you when you come to right. California. We'll be in LA eventually. Yeah, totally. I would love that. So with that, you know, how are you feeling? You have a new book coming out. What have you been learning recently, like in the last mm. week or month? What's been coming up for you as, as a theme? Patience and spaciousness. Um, this has been an incredibly impactful summer. I mean, the book came out, Yoke, My Yoga of Self-Acceptance came out on June 22nd, which was also the week of my 34th birthday and the week that my partners and I were moving out of our house. And we were downsizing from a 2000 square foot house to a 59 square foot RV. So we sold literally like everything that we own. And that process of purging and releasing and letting go and opening up to this whole new reality on top of the fact that this deeply intimate memoir that I spent four years writing came out at the same time. It was just like, wow, this is a lot. But honestly, like the spaciousness, I think that the universe is offering me in terms of just submitting and just letting go, letting it, just letting it be. And I mean, honestly, this is so much of what I talk about in yoke is that the practice of yoga is not just happening on a yoga mat. It's happening in every other part of our lives. And for me, this is that, you know, like you practice yoga, right? So it's like, the experience when you're in like the heat of a vinyasa practice, when it's like you're on down dog number 15, 25, like whatever it is, like you're like, you're deep in it. That part of the experience is not about looking pretty. It's not about being happy. It's about being. And that is very much the experience of practice that I feel like I'm having right now with the changes. And it's it's inviting a lot of patience and a lot of spaciousness in a beautiful mm-hmm. way. Painful, but beautiful way. Yeah. You're in the 15 downward dogs in exactly. of your life right now. Wow. That's really cool. It's cool to catch you in that moment. So yoke is so wonderful it's sitting next to me and i'm i'm so grateful that this piece of work exists i'm sure you've had to to talk about this 
a lot, but I would love for you to to have it here talking about the title and how that was actually, I thought it was fascinating that it was, I heard you talk about this leaning into imposter syndrome you felt in your last book. Can you talk about that? Yeah, definitely. So I had, when I wrote my first book, Everybody Yoga, I was definitely like, I was uncomfortable with the fact that I'd been able to do so. I knew that I had not been practicing yoga for that long. Like I've been practicing for a while, but there are many people who have been practicing for a longer time. And I was very much feeling like, oh, I don't know, like feeling all this anxiety about it. But at the same time, I was like, you know, this is what the universe has offered. It's what it's asking of me. And I'm showing up in that. And so there must be, it must be okay to some degree. Right. But I was very much pretending like I wasn't experiencing deep imposter syndrome, like feeling like I, like I'm going to get found out. Everybody's going to know that I shouldn't be like, I don't know. I shouldn't be doing this. And so Shortly after the book came out, I got an email, and this is the first story that I tell in Yoke. I get an email from a freelance editor who had noticed that there was a really big typo in Everybody Yoga in which I misspelled the word yoke, Y-O-K-E, which means union. It means to bring together. I had misspelled it as Y-O-L-K, meaning yolk, the interior of an egg. And I was so embarrassed and angry and sad and all these different things. And instead of doing what I think has been my MO, which in instead of dealing with the, what it feels like to just sit with the imposter syndrome, I very much in the past would have like just tried to pretend I wasn't feeling anything or try to, um, to ignore the emotion. But instead of doing that, I just allowed myself to feel it. And um, it really was a, I talk about the practice of meditation around it, but it was and uh, about that day specifically. But I would say it's something that in the way that all of life is nonlinear, that I'm still experiencing the reverberations of that, of that time, because it's, it really meant having to sit with what it feels like to think that you don't know everything and that you will never know everything and that you're not good enough. All of these feelings that I think on the surface, it would be easier to just pretend they're not happening, but um, sitting with that and allowing all of that to be there and allowing it to just be a part of my truth has allowed for so much talk about spaciousness it has allowed for so much spaciousness it's like when you you know like when your house is messy and you just you're like i don't even know how to start cleaning this like i don't even know where to begin but when you just pick a place to begin and you start cleaning it out there is so much spaciousness that is coming just from the mirror like just putting one sock in the hamper and wiping down the counter so that by the time the space is clean, you've created, and you have done this work of opening, of cleansing, like that, that's what it feels like for me. It feels like cleaning out my house. It feels like letting out, letting it all air out. And um, I think that many of us experience imposter syndrome in one way, shape or form. I mean, I think it's probably, I feel like millennials have really characterized it in a very specific way, but I think that like, everybody has moments of thinking like, am I going to get caught out? Do I really know everything about this? Do I know about this? But just being able to accept it makes it all a little bit easier. Yeah. Cause I'm curious if it's like things have been easier for us than the past generation in some ways. And of course there are ways that it's Mm. more difficult, but that's such an interesting point that you make of like that. Everyone feels that. And I, that, that story of that you just told really landed with me when, when I first, heard you tell it too, because I think owning something like owning our shadow, right. And looking at our shadow is such a theme of this book. And so it's really cool that in the title, you took something that you felt shame about and owned it. And I think there's so much and accepted it, right. Which I think is so much that I've gotten from your work. And you've spoken about the ways that cultural appropriation becomes a yoga practice and 
or, you know, relates to a yoga practice. And rather than, you know, wrestling with these hard truths within ourselves and sitting with and accepting the awkward intersection, as you say, of, of capitalism and spirituality and internalized racism, you talked about the first step of that being accepting your physical body and especially the things you don't like and using that as a jumping off point to get to those other things that I was talking about with capitalism and spirituality and cultural appropriation. And that was such a watershed moment for me. Can you talk about that? There's so when you start talking about cultural appropriation in general, I feel like people get like, Oh no, I don't want to talk about that because there's so much fear about being a part of it and being a part of what is seen as a problem. And honestly, I mean, I think that theft of cultural identity is and mimicking other people for uh, sport is not a great thing. Certainly, it's not something that um, I think makes us all feel happy all the time. But it is actually also, I think, a part of this whole cultural experiment of America. It's a, just a part of it. The uh, not being able to tell the difference between appropriation and appreciation. And so in that way, like, it's kind of, it's just it's a part of it. But it being a part of it doesn't mean that we don't have to try to come to terms with it and accept it. Just that it does exist is um, it's not enough to not at least acknowledge it also. So for me, cultural appropriation is a part of my yoga practice. Like it's how the fact that I even call this practice yoga, that I found out about it through the lens of classical yoga, which is deeply embedded in South Asian culture, that I found out about it from people who colonized and who I would argue did not care about the way that they were sharing the practice. And honestly, for me, it's not about like feeling bad about it. It's, it's almost like a, it's like a distraction to worry about feeling bad about it. It's more like, what are you going to do now that you have this information? And for me, it's meant really doing the work of trying to appreciate the culture that I have been appropriating, really trying to understand and learn more. And that has informed many of my decisions about like what I do and don't do in my classes and what I, the way that I show up as a practitioner. And it also means accepting that the way that I practice yoga is likely going to offend somebody more than likely. I don't know that that's a reason to not practice, but it's definitely something to accept and uh, and stand in. And I think that instead of trying to actually stand in the hardness of it, more often than not, we just try to pretend that it's not happening or try to ignore it or say, it's not me. I'm not appropriating. Here are the ways in which I'm not appropriating, pointing the finger at other people. And I think that's fine for somebody else. But for me, it's important to point the finger at myself first. Yeah. I think, you know, looking inward and owning our, you know, where all of it is, is such a, you know, such a lesson that is useful for, in so many things, you know, is like the yoga that we, we all will really change the world, you know, will really help lift every rising tide to lift all of us. And yeah, I, I thought it was, was really interesting how you spoke about, you know, first accepting your physical body as the jumping off point to get to some of these deeper layers. And, and can you talk about how you did that and how, you know, I know that was in your last body of work too, and something we talked about in the last show, but how you've done that and then, you know, where you are with that now. You know, I think that the physical body really engaging with it and being like, this is who I am. Accepting your physical body is the, I don't even know that any of this work is 
accessible without doing that first layer. And it's not something where you're like, yes, I figured it out. I've accepted my body. I'm good. I no longer need to worry about this. Like now I can just think about everything else that's going on inside of me. It's like, no, for the rest of your life, you're going to be doing the exact same body acceptance practices. Like I feel like, and I talk about this in Everybody Yoga, that understanding the difference between how do I look and how do I feel was really crucial for me. Being able to think that the question of how do I look, how do I look, asking that ultimately you're asking other people, how do I look, as opposed to asking yourself, how do I feel? And that the answer to how do I feel more directly informs how you should show up in the world and how you should feel about your body, as opposed to asking other people, how do I look? And so literally every day, I would say that I engage with that personally. And that the way that I do it to, I guess, directly answer your question, the way that I do it is that I show up for the journey every single day, exactly like I did before. Literally, like, there are days where I feel great about my body. And there are days where I feel really shitty about my body. And there are days where I feel kind of somewhere in the middle. And then there's days where it's up and down, up and down. But even daring to have the conversation is really the key. Saying, yeah, okay. Maybe some days I like it. Maybe some days I don't. But going along the journey and listening to the internal dialogue also, like the language that is used to talk about yourself. Like I have heard myself say awful things about myself and no one else was saying those things. Like it was not, we always want to blame the media. You want to blame your friends and family, but it's not them. It's you. And being able to own that for myself every single day, coming back to the drawing board, coming back to square one, that is what my body acceptance journey is. And I would say that that is like I said before, integral to doing any other work, looking at yourself in any other way. Because I think that when you can't accept your body, not only when you can't accept your body, you can't accept anybody else's body either. So you're just in a cycle of negative spiritual pollution with other people thinking that there's some ideal that everyone needs to be reaching. But in addition to that, it's hard without accepting your physical body as it is, it's hard to then accept your emotional body and your mental body and ultimately your spiritual body as it is also. Thank you for sharing that and that it it's still a process for you. You know, that's something I love about mm-hmm. your work is like you talk about like it's a practice. We're all constantly in process, you know, until we die. <laughs> and I think the the way that you said that of I'd never associated like accepting your body. And obviously like, you know, we talked about this a lot in the, in the last episode and everybody has their own body to accept. And that that is a stepping stone and the first stepping stone to accept these other parts of you and these, and then to wrestle with the hard truths, you know, and from a bigger picture level, I had never made that connection before. And I just, I really, I am really glad you shared that. And, and I, I think that's, so important. And yeah, anyway, just thank you. <laughs> oh, I feel you. Totally. Another thing that's happened since we spoke is your podcast, which I love mm. so much. And I would just love to geek out about this medium. And, and I'm curious like what it's been like for you to have a podcast. And I love the conversational nature of it. I love... I feel so good listening to it. I love your cadence and and getting to just feel like I I feel closer to you. I feel like I'm your friend <laughs> listening and which yeah. is the highest compliment yeah. of podcasting and totally. yeah, I'm just curious what it's been like for you. Thank you so much for that first of all. I mean, honestly, Dear Jessamine has been a labor of love. It's really just something that my producer and girlfriend and I just do to have fun. Honestly, it's a way for us to connect with each other and to connect with other people. And I feel so grateful for the community of, we we call everybody dearies. Like we love being able to connect with people that like are out here 
literally just like being weird and being like, like we talk about things that are, I think considered taboo in the mainstream, but also are like really common. Like a lot of people are in diverse partnerships. We are polyamorous and we talk about that openly. A lot of people smoke cannabis, but they don't talk about it openly. Like we talk about just what it is to be in media, to be entrepreneurs and to be building our businesses like without a roadmap. And that is something that personally, I feel like just interested in having conversations with other people about. And so it's dope to be able to have it in that medium. I will say that because, so the first season of Dear Jessamine and really why we started Dear Jessamine was that I had gotten a lot of DMs on Instagram about my partnerships that I have two partners and that we um, at that time all lived together. And um, we decided to just answer the questions that people were asking. And I felt like it was too much to do on Instagram. So that's why we turned it into a podcast. But after the first season, I was not really that committed to continuing the show, but we have continued because we think that there is, you know, it's just, it's a fun thing to do, but the show has become very uh, intimate and very much about the yoga of our real lives, like everything that is going on in our day-to-day life, which is very complicated and messy. And we are vulnerable in a way that I personally have difficulty listening to. So I would love to have her answer your questions about like actually listening to the show and like really engaging with what it is to communicate like this. Because to your point, it is a wild thing. Podcasting is such a cool way to be making art. But I feel like this season, I am so just like, I just want to do it and I cannot engage with it. It's like, this is too, like, I'm glad. I hope that other people are able to engage with this. Personally, I cannot engage with this, but I can't engage with everybody afterwards. Like we can all kick it on Instagram, but I don't know if I can like listen to the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And, and I'm, I'm so happy that you enjoy the process of it. Cause it, to me, like I, Well, let's just just level with the people. You have a whole day of (laughs) podcasting today for (laughs) to promote your new book, and (laughs) I host a podcast that is long form, usually two hours, and we just kind of kick it with the guest. Usually, it's my friend or someone that I hope becomes my friend that I really love. Yeah, and it's so different than what we're doing right now. And I felt a little bit off. Like I I was putting pennies in the jukebox of Jessamine of like, we got to hit this point. We got to hit this point. Cause that's what I love about podcasting is that like, it's such an anecdote to soundbite culture or to TikTok or Instagram that like, you can really get in there and you can mm-hmm. take your time. Absolutely. And that's why this is very uncomfortable <laughs> to me because, and, and not what you do on your show. It, it's you being present and like actually connecting. And I love that. And I, and I'm so like, I do actually feel like we're connecting not to like shit on the, you know, short version of the podcast we're making right now, which is great. And I'm so happy to be talking to you, but it's really different. And I think that podcasting is such a welcomed phenomenon because you can have that conversation intimacy. And I think we live in a world that's like so starved for conversation intimacy with each other that will settle to eavesdrop on other people having it, you know? <laughs> totally, totally. And there's so such a lack of intimacy and such a desire for like just quick bites, you know, quick bites yeah. of conversation. So I feel you completely about that. Yeah. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Glamnetic. I am so excited about this. So I tried false lashes when I was in high school for the prom. And I'm pretty sure with the glue, I pulled out pretty much all of my lashes from that. So This company makes a product that is so cool. You can get rid of the lash glue for good when you want to wear false lashes. What's really cool about this product is that you'll never have to show up late because you're trying to put in your lashes. Again, I don't really wear luxe fancy makeup often, but you know, I might start because these are 
I think I am going to start, in fact. These are so easy to apply. It's so fun. And my friend Christine always talks about, you know, when she turned 30, she wanted to wear more glitter and actually like do more fun things with makeup. And I'm feeling the same way. And I think especially after the pandemic, it feels good to get dressed up and try new things. And I think if you have an event or a wedding, Glamnetic Magnetic Lashes are for you. They are created to save you time and money. And these lashes are a real game changer. They've sold over 500,000 pairs of lashes in 2020. And I hopped on the train, gave them a go. They're really, really cool. And I think you're gonna like them a lot. They make putting on lashes so easy. They're made to stay on all day and they get applied in a second. Lash glue doesn't stand a chance with these. I think it's just a way better way to use a product like this if you're going to use it. And it's more environmentally friendly. It takes under a minute to apply with no toxic glue, no struggle, up to 60 uses per lash. So that's what makes it more eco-friendly and wallet friendly. And there's over 75 styles, which I really love from natural, which is what I really go for. Or you can do like a full glam and you can do a different lash for every mood. And you just go to their website and take a quiz from their lash guide to find the style that best suits you. And what's cool is they have lashes for every eye shape and there's a 100% money back guarantee. So there's really no reason to not try it and it supports the podcast if you do so just give it a go over 500,000 happy customers expedited shipping with free shipping to the U.S. and Canada on orders of $30 or more found out for yourself why Glamnetic lashes are Instagram's favorite beauty hack go to glamnetic.com slash let it out that's g-l-a-m-n-e-t-i-c.com slash let it out and enter the code let it out for 30% off your order. This code is only available for our listeners. That's glamnetic.com slash let it out and enter our promo code, let it out at checkout for 30% off. I promise you guys, these lashes are literally applying themselves. Thank you, Glamnetic. This week's episode is brought to you by my favorite Northwest Cherry Growers. My summer sure would not be complete without today's sponsor, Northwest Cherry Growers. That's right. This episode is brought to you by the delicious, sweet, summertime superfruit Northwest Cherries. Beyond their crisp, juicy flavor, deep red color, sweet cherries pack an abundance of nutritional benefits to support your health year-round. Research shows that sweet cherries have a positive effect on inflammation, blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, cognitive function, and even sleep. Do yourself a favor, add sweet cherries to your shopping list today. They're now available online and in grocery stores nationwide. Tis the season for cherries. Keep them in the fridge. That's the best way I like to enjoy them. Visit nwcherries.com slash sweet health to learn more. That's nwcherries slash sweet health to learn more. This week's episode is brought to you by Feels. CBD isn't about what you feel, it's about what you don't feel. Stress, anxiety, pain. I love using CBD, it doesn't get you high, it just gives you this feeling of peace and I really love it. It's helped calm my nervous system. I tend to get really anxious or really excited about something. And taking a little CBD just can kind of calm me down if I have like a new crush or I'm really nervous about a work thing. A little bit of CBD can help even also relieving pain. I have sciatica and sometimes my back hurts, especially around my period. And taking feels CBD is really useful for me and I think you'll like it too. Feels is a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free, delivered directly to your door. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain, sleeplessness. There's no hangover or addiction. And like I said, when I'm on my period or I'm just really sleepy or I'm in like pain or, you know, just feeling a little bit too high or nervous, CBD can really calm me down. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and then you can feel the difference within minutes. The thing to remember about CBD, it's finding your correct dose and that's really important and that's different for everyone. 
So Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your personal experience so it can make sure that you're getting the best use out of your CBD. I did the hotline and it was really, really helpful. Joining the Feels monthly membership makes your self-care really easy. You save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash let it out and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's feels f-e-a-l-s dot com slash let it out to become a member and get 50% off automatically taken out of your first order and free shipping feels.com slash let it out well okay I have so like about 200 more questions for you <laughs> um, and we have like about 10 more minutes so you have to do another one of these so I'm just gonna like ask them quick fire to you rapid fire yeah, and you can yeah. just say the first thing that that comes to mind dope okay so tell me about your writing process and your greatest lesson mm. on creativity I'd love to to hear how you do it oh my goodness I don't I definitely don't have a lesson but what I do is just word vomit just like deep like get it out. Journaling also needs to happen. Like the chapter in a yoke called I am not me. I wrote the first draft of that, like coming out of meditation. And it was very much just like a stream of consciousness, uh, kind of passage. And so that as the first wave, and then the second wave is just trying to tell the truth. Like from that, mm. going back over everything with the lens and the pen of tell the truth. And I don't know about you, but I get into these patterns with my writing where I'm like trying to make it beautiful. I'm trying to make it better than, than I think it actually is in real life. Like trying to make whatever the thing is sound pretty or be happy or get like I'm, I'm, or even not, not even that necessarily, but just like trying to evoke some emotion specifically. And so the editor, the I then come in with is like, just lose the bullshit. Tell the truth. Just tell the yeah. truth. Stop, stop doing that. Just tell the truth. Yeah. <laughs> That's my process. Yeah. I love that. You said something on one of your recent podcast episodes that I would love to hear you expand on a little bit. You were talking about, well, this is what you said. You were like, everybody's feelings are not about you. They try to convince oh. you they're they're about you, but they're not about you that really landed with me. Can you expand on that a little bit? Oh my God. Absolutely. Like I'm, I, I'm so curious about your natal chart. First of all, like I'm curious about your sun moon rising. So if you want to share that, like, I would love to, like, I am I'm a, so a Taurus sun, a Sagittarius rising Leo moon. Very interesting. Okay. Nobody, I whenever I say it. the Taurus, they're like, what? I don't see that one, but the other wow, one. I love that. Totally Leo moon, Sag rising. Very interesting. Wait, tell me, That's tell a lot me of yours real quick. Earth. I want well, to astro so profile I, you. Totally. So I'm a Cancer sun and moon and a Virgo rising. And the mm. reason that I ask is because as a Cancer, I very much, I think everybody's emotions are about me. Like all the time. I'm like, I make everything about me. I'm like, mm, that person doesn't like me. Mm, this And the person is literally like, I was not even thinking about you. <laughs> so that that's why I just like have come to this understanding of actually everybody's, everybody's stuff is about them. Literally everybody's stuff is about them. They're never thinking about you. Even when they think they're thinking about you. They're never thinking about you. They're thinking about them. And that's okay because we're all doing it. So it's fine. But like, it's something that I think, especially in partnership, in relationships, it's very easy to think that someone else is intentionally trying to hurt you or like they are not taking your feelings into account. And like, I feel like I have been in a lot of relationships at this point, and I am currently in multiple relationships, which means that I do a lot of processing, a lot of, and we're queer, and some of us are lesbians, so there is a lot of feelings happening, mm -hmm. and that means that I feel like, literally, it's never about you, like, never. It's always about the other person. Yeah, I find that both and I wonder how you how you feel about this. Like, I find it both very freeing as a mm. concept, but also 
a little bit, and, and this just might be my ego, but I also find it a little bit sad. Like nobody's thinking about you. Everybody's thinking about themselves. Everyone's in their own heads, which is great. But like, I want people to be thinking about me. You know what I mean? Like I do <laughs> want it to be about me sometimes. You know? Absolutely. Leo moon, Sag rising. I bet. I love that so much. That's the thing. Like we're all, because the thing is we are all also the sun. Like we are the sun of our own universe. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, I want people to be thinking about me, you know, especially if you are someone who like, like my, a lot of my big astrology is in my house of like public facing, like, I forget. It's like the 11th house, I want to say. And it's the one where you're public facing self so that I'm constantly in this space of like, like, how am I being shown to the world? What are other people thinking of me? And like that, that sadness that comes when like, oh, actually everybody's always thinking about themselves. That sadness is also life. Like it's not, I think that it misses so much. This is honestly a big topic in yoke that in life we prioritize happiness and think that sadness shouldn't be happening, that it's not a good thing. But I think that that sadness is such an incredible teacher and also really beautiful and that it's okay to feel sad also. Yeah. I'm curious, this relates to, you know, the, another thing I wanted to ask you, which is relationships, there's so much learning, you know, and and clearly you're doing so much, like you said, processing and learning. And I think that there's so much richness there. What is your greatest lesson on on relationships that that you can share and all that processing that you're you're constantly in? Is there anything that comes to mind in in romantic partnership and in friendship and in even in like, you know, not acquaintances, but like light friendships, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Totally. And uh, and some of those work relationships are like some of the most important and uh, deepening relationships. I mean, I think that. I, I, I think I got some exes that would be listening to this. Like, mm, do tell Jessamine, what do you think about like, what, what is your greatest lesson about relationships? I mean, I think for me, it's that the most important relationship that you have is with yourself. And that if you don't have a fulfilling relationship with yourself, that you can't have a fulfilling relationship with anyone else because you'll always be looking to that other person to complete you, whether it is your lover or your coworker, or your cat, like whoever it is, you're going to be looking to them to fulfill that deep seated love, like a love that you can't, it's like, you could have all the lovers in the world and never fill up your cup because you're constantly seeking a love that is so deep that it can only come from inside yourself. And that if you are having that like deep loving relationship with yourself, that to be in partnership with other beings for whatever reason, your plants, literally whoever else to be in relationship with someone else is the greatest gift. And to be able to learn from another human being and to show up for another human being and bring your best self is a gift, but that it comes from really respecting the relationship that you have with yourself. Mm, Yeah. I mean, I guess it goes back to what we were saying before about, accepting your physical body as the first step to, you know, getting to be able to work with some of those harder truths that are more about the collective. I think it's the same in relationships of, you know, the lesson is the same of like, got to go inward first, got to look at yourself, got to, to be able to be seen by, by another person, which is so hard. <laughs> but literally, literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, God, I love you. I, could talk to you forever. It was really hard for me to pack it in so quickly. So I hope that you write another book soon so you can come back on here. I hope I get to see you when you're, when you're in LA and until then I'll be tuning into dear Jessamine and talk to you on the internet. Thank you so much for doing this. Please. It is truly a pleasure, Katie. And I look forward to connecting sometime soon. Have a good rest of your day. Thank you. Can we just end with the, so the name of the show is, is let it out. Is there anything that you wish that I would have asked or want to let out or never get to talk about or say? Oh my goodness. No, you know, it is something that I say all the time, but it's something that I think can't be said enough. I just want to say that every human being is necessary. Everybody is important exactly as you are. Please do your thing. Be your best self. 
because if you get free the rest of us can be free too that's mm-hmm. it I, I love say. that well we always end with letting out a deep breath are you down mm-hmm. I'm so down Please. okay inhale exhale let it out <sighs> thank you thank you that's exactly what I need That was my conversation with Jessamine. If you want to hear more about her backstory and a longer form interview with her, like I said, we'll link my first conversation with her in the show notes of this episode. So you can go back and listen to that. And now for part two of my conversation with James Michael. Genuinely, Northwest Cherries has been such an important partnership and really I'm so grateful to be working with them that I loved this conversation and I, I really hope you take the time to listen and, and share it and, and buy some cherries because it's it's such a joy to work with them. So thank you again for listening and being here. So, okay, I want to go back to, I have a couple more questions for you, but I want to go back to you starting the sparkling wine with your wife. So do you think that's something that were you going to use cherries for as the fruit in the wine? No, this is when I was just a, a cherry lover and yeah. we had a couple of the Bing cherry trees that was really just for the birds for the most part. But no, that was uh, sparkling wine from some vines that my grandfather had planted in the, in the moment she was young. And so that was going to be, and the, the, the plan was to be able to turn that into sparkling wine brand. Because I really, at the time, I thought there was an opportunity for sparkling wine, not only some, you know, nice, some traditional bottles, but wine in a can, you know, in like a small, like a, a five ounce or a six ounce sparkling wine can. And it's recyclable, it's easy to use, cost savings, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, now there's, kick myself, you go to the grocery store and there's huge racks of them. So I know. And, and natural wine now is like really having a moment that I think will linger. Do you oh, yeah. think that you would ever come back to that? And I think I, I work a couple of days a week in, or like basically one in a wine shop in our neighborhood. And we have a wine that I think has, a, it's, it's grapes and cherries. Like I think there's, really? a, yeah. And maybe even like a different fruit. That'd be fun. There's actually, the, I don't know if they're still around. Um, can I say the name of a winery? I'm not affiliated. Yeah, yeah. Ten Spoon. Again, I don't know if they're still in existence, but Ten Spoon Winery in Montana. He used to have, he and she, that's my wife's team, used to have a couple of cherry wines. And they had a sweet dessert cherry wine, but they had a dry wine that was kind of like, I wouldn't say Pinot. It was more like a Burgundy or like a light San Giovese. It was just as weird, you know, without that structure. Um, it was just, it was an odd wine. Um, and it's funny that when you, when you pop the cork, I think it was Lambert cherries. He, he mm-hmm. did them all with a different variety. It was pure cherry. It was hundred percent pure cherry uh, and oaked. He did everything. He didn't try He didn't try to, you know, there's a few recipes out there to try and make a burgundy with cherries. And he was just trying to make these cherries the best wine that they could. Yeah, uh, and it was fun. I was actually I, I would buy a few bottles of when I found it, and I do it at wine dinners, you know, with people that we knew, you know, growers and winemakers and whatnot, and just you know, friend get together. And when you just pop the cork, it smelled exactly like when you bite into a cherry. I mean, unmistakable. Wow, but that sounds you, so good. Yeah. But if you decanted it like half an half an hour and brought it out. It was just this really confusing wine. And it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's a little bit of trickery because everybody's thinking grape, you know, but that was a blast. Like that never, that never was not fun. Just, you know, because if there's always somebody in the group, we'll all figure this out. Yeah. There's always opportunity, right? I mean, who says, who says no to a good idea for tomorrow? I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I hope you do it. Chris, now one of your listeners out there will be like, Hey, I think I can just trademark this. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. If there's somebody out there listening and you can make a really awesome sparkling cherry wine in a can, please, that would be lovely just to be, <laughs> be great to make, but it'd also be lovely just to buy off the shelf. So, you know, <laughs> make it happen, get on it. Yeah. Maybe it can be the, Ooh, there's this podcast that I listened to and it's, it's co-hosted and they have a collaboration with their favorite coffee shop mud yeah. in, in New York. And they, it's called how long gone. And I, anyway, they have oh, this okay, like, canned coffee that they made that's like branded as their podcast yeah. so maybe we do a let it out canned it. cherry sparkling wine oh that's even great for sparkling wine you got the pressure so there's gonna be that you know, let that it moment. out yes let it out 
All right, okay, make it that's happen. Our, that's reads- our next year partnership. <laughs> yep, Katie will be having this. You should be having a conversation with someone. Like I just, we had this idea we heard on this on this podcast with that cherry guy, and like this it was supposed to happen. Yeah, feel free to please reach out. It's our yeah. next collaboration, <laughs> Northwest right. Cherries, and let it out. Canned wine. You heard it you here, exclusive. <laughs> Well, this has been so great. I, I love talking to you and I'm I'm going to ask you the rest of the questions as quick fire questions. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So just say the first thing that comes to mind. So what's the best thing that you've eaten in the last week? Actually, a sandwich my son made. I got to be honest. I've, I'm, the work from home thing to be able to have your six-year-old be your chef. Oh, awesome. that's so nice. What yeah. kind of sandwich was he working with? ham he's a big ham guy wow wow i saw this like this sam i'm not really at all trying to make a segue but i did see this like grilled cheese with cherries in it on your instagram that looked so good at first when i saw it i was with my friend and she was like ew and then we were like actually no No, that sounds good yeah it sounds really good right well i know it's quick fire but that's one for us I mean, we, there's a lot of cherry recipes, but I think for the most part, by the time you pit cherries, that's a recipe in and of itself, you know, mm-hmm. and there's this demand in this, this culture and everybody, Oh, give a recipe. Do you have a, live share a recipe? I have your recipe. I can post, is this a new recipe? Do you have a photo with the recipe? Like it just, if you want a recipe, you're going to Google cherry recipe and there's a million. Right. That's, totally. that's what you're going to do. We don't need any more, but yeah. you can come up with, and especially by the time somebody's pitted a pound of cherries, they're like, that's it. My finger's hurt. I'm done. I'm out. Yeah, and that's why people eat them. And just that's why there's that sense, you know, that enjoyment around that bowl of cherries, I think, more than maybe with some other yeah, fruits and you know, products that have such versatility. But when you get to that point, if you use the, you know, the listener tip, uh, if you use a bottle and a metal straw, it's my favorite, a chopstick works as well. But you put the cherry, take the stem, put the cherry on the bottle, and you just use a straw and poke it out. And all the mess stays in the bottle. You know, you got the pit um, nice and easy, quick and clean. Oh, that's a cool uh, hack. So for right now, like if we're going to do a recipe, it ends up being like a cherry sauce, which is, you know, to blame anybody out there with your own fruit sauce, it's like a cranberry sauce at Christmas, just using cherries or cherries and cranberries in the holidays, but pickling, like a quick pickle. Mm. But the funny is you can do something like that, especially, you know, um, you know, you get the bags, you're washing a few, throw them in there and then you're just nibbling on the rest. But I think cherries have such fun flavor there's such a unique thing and to enjoy when it's season it's like asparagus in the spring yeah you know there's that bit where you just enjoy the heck out of it because it's in season and you find all sorts of fun ways to use it and then you move on to the next thing you know rather than some big elaborate recipe but totally cherries and cheeses that that grilled cheese is phenomenal Uh, cherries and goat cheese go really well together yeah i have some goat cheese right now yeah that's a really good point though and i and i just want to like highlight and underline that of like it's a fruit that you have to pit and it's actually like i feel that way about a lot of things that when they're in a recipe where i'm like i actually prefer this on its own you know and like is the juice worth the squeeze or is the Mm -hmm. like pit worth the Right. I don't know. You know, like it's actually like that. That I agree that I think the best way to have them is actually just, you know, oh. yeah. That's totally. another reason I think they're a good late night snack because you yeah, slows you down. Sure. But you know, we all fight that late night, you know, snacking urge, and we you've got the stems, so you're getting that little that physical yes. you know, feedback as well, and you're eating around the pit, and yes, with the pit, there's it just slows you down a little bit, and yeah. then you know, trees have the fiber there, so you used to get that give your your body a chance to feel full and. So, I mean, it really, cherries do work at it. And it was actually, I was reading this list of things. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's just one of those like marketing kismet moments. You're like, huh? Yeah. And actually, but the funny thing was, I, that was a study of when people naturally use it. So as I you know, had that question of reasons you like snacking on cherries and then the time you typically eat cherries and people naturally tend to eat cherries. Uh, you know, there's an afternoon you know, snack, um, but especially after dinner. Mm. And so we, I think we, we've recognized that, or at least a lot of people out there that answered the survey that they really do just do that good late night craving snack in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. I used to do that with pistachios, like, because it mm-hmm. slows you down, yeah. you know, and it's, you have to, uh, there's yep. something about the physical tactile act of that. I was just t- telling my friend. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, but I, I was like eating them too fast yesterday at the farmer's market, I, I like got some and I was eating them too fast and swallowed a pit and it gave oh, me a really yeah, good yeah. idea because I think another connection, like something I'm going to do in the, and that's something I, I say in the ad, I talk about how it's really good to, to have at night as, as like a, a late snack. And 
another thing that I think I'm going to do in this partnership is talk about the feeling of having a pit in your stomach, you know, like what that feel like, where that comes from and what that feel like. I just think there's oh, yeah, something there. Like said, yeah. Yeah. Another that. let it out connection. Yeah. There you go. I love it. So can you talk about what's your favorite part of your life right now? Getting to help 2000 farmers while being able to work with the family, you know, we work with the state. And so we are able to work from home here for, 14 months, then, you know, probably that'll have to change, but the being able to be productive and help people help consumers find uh, something that will help ease their you know, joint pain or give them a snack with it. They can enjoy it with, you know, diabetes or find something that helps a consumer help our yeah. growers continue growing then being able to, you know, maintain that off work part of your life as well. Uh, it's gotta be pretty awesome. So and you got to enjoy every day when something like that lines up, right? Yeah. We talked, you mentioned a couple of them just now. And I think, you know, I talk about them in the ads, but we've talked a lot about, you know, the ways to eat them and, and how great they are. But you mentioned a couple of the benefits. Can you just mention a, a couple more? Sure. Yeah. No. And, and if you want our websites, nwcherries.com, but if you add slash sweet Sweet health. Yeah. I say yeah. that on the ad. <laughs> um, and that'll take you right to the the website, you know, our page there. They're, they're really listing. Cool. We'll link and, to that in the show notes. Yeah. Too. And again, we try to, you know, I think leading with research is the way to go. And so that's really, we try to put that front and center. You know, here's what, here's what we study. Here's what we know. One of the most interesting things that we've studied is one, but it came from a conversation. It came from a news story um, I read years ago about uh, California doing research on breast cancer on peaches and plums. And it was some initial success and interest. And But then that group um, dissolved and I couldn't find the article again and life moved on. And the end, it's like things, right? You know, if, you, if you're hoping for it, uh, if you work hard enough, then sometimes the universe aligns. And so that particular researcher uh, transferred to Washington State University. And so we, she was doing health research so our paths cross because we work with WSU quite a bit on all of their land grant university. They do a lot of egg research. And, and so our paths crossed and we invited this researcher to be part of our science advisory board and help guide us in our decision-making with, you know, research, grower funds and health research. And, um, and afterwards we had dinner and I got to sit next to her. And so we were talking and, and the conversation got around to, and I can't remember how, but to her research that she'd done on breast cancer with peaches and plums and, so we're like, I'm like, well, do you think that'd be there for cherries? She's like, well, yeah, I think even probably in a greater amount because um, they're a darker color, more concentration of color. And I was like, well, this is awesome. We should do this. And so the course of the next couple of years, you know, tons of other people got involved and helped put some grant writing together. Actually, that one, I think we funded directly by ourselves, directly as growers. But she's now done two feeding trials with rats showing that cherries the cherry compounds not only um, decreased the size of the uh, double negative, you know, so the most lethal form of breast cancer, but decreased the size of the tumor, but have also presented it from metastasizing, which is, is, you know, it's awesome. And so that's been published in a couple of different places. And, you know, so there's, and obviously, I mean, it's nowhere near a clinical endpoint. Um, so if any USDA or anybody's listening, I'm not saying that cherries cure, whatever, but it's exciting research. And when you've got a lot of other anti-inflammatory research that has been studied and proven and showing the reduction of, you know, the markers of inflammation and bloodstream and you know, reducing your blood, there's nine studies, you know, last few years showing the reduction in blood pressure and both immediate and sustained. And so there's all these other things around it. So we're like, all right, we're, we're encouraged by these results, but the breast cancer one was pretty cool because it, with a lot of different things that happened, you know, I'm sure the research, hopefully the research would have been done, but it's just, you know, because there's a supportive group of growers behind us that are saying, you know, yeah, let's take some of these shots. And, you know, she was excited by it. She thinks it you know, might work. And so we want to know, let's, let's invest in it and, and see what we can find out. And so that'll be really exciting research that we'll, we'll lead with more in the future as we learn more for sure. Oh, I love that. Dr. Juliana Narado, the study pit, um, and it's on, you can find it all of the, if you Google for it or on our website, there's some information on there as well. Cool. Wow. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and for yeah. coming on the show. And and like I said, I am so grateful for this partnership and I'm so excited about it. And um, genuinely, like, I really think it's going to be um, fruitful. You know, 
Yes, so fruitful. Well said. Cherry partnership. I mean, see yeah. the, the cherry on top of the. You know, it's a funny uh, world. Yes, super fruitful. So, fruitful for all involved. Um, right there we go. Well, oh, is there anything fun. that you wish that I would have asked that you didn't get to talk about? You know, the name of the show is Let It Out. So is there anything that you wanted to let out that you didn't get to? Be kind to everybody. Get out there and try some cherries while you can. They'll be around this year through probably late August. Um, mm. you know, the heat wave has been challenging. But again, we've got cherries all over the five states. And there's a lot of, a lot of little growers whose harvest, you know, their week of harvest is still coming up. And and for anybody that wanted to know those yellow cherries next to the reds, those are a little sweeter, a little less acidity. But that actually surprisingly is, is a common question we get a lot on the web. Because I think there's this, you see a lot of fruits in the grocery store that are in varying stages of ripeness. So it is, if you see them next to each other, it's a little confusing. But uh, yeah, so the, the yellow cherries, the rainier cherries uh, tend to be a little bit sweeter, but their season's even shorter. So they're only going for probably oh, a couple more weeks. Yeah, that so it's funny because I was at the farmers market with my my friend Savannah a couple maybe a month ago, and someone we go every Tuesday and we ended up buying a ton of cherries. Like, but this was yeah, like I said, a month ago, and they were the yeah yellow, almost orange, like like right. kind of half yeah. And he was like, yeah, it's cherry season, but I knew that I had this partnership with you, and like I, we chose the dates very like aligned to cherries and so i kind of like came in as a know-it-all being like i don't think it's cherry season yet like because i remember we really had to like choose the dates carefully but that not locally it. anyway yeah not yeah. locally it was probably california california comes in a little bit early um and right. they, everybody's again you're dealing with mother nature and california has a harder time than a lot of areas at least in that window that cherries are growing yeah. um and there's also some royal ands too and that's the thing there's 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 so many there's hundreds of cherry varieties you know we commercially ship probably 12 varieties or so makes up most of what we ship you know wow. as the industry and then they all come on and off so what you see at the grocery store you know depending on what week it is could be any number of cherry but they're all grown i mean everything's kind of weighed against the the bing you know that classic taste so that's that's the benchmark is this bigger than a bing is this sweeter than a, you know is this is this hit that or exceed it so that way, when you go to the store, because it is such a short season, if you're trying to chase one variety, you know, you don't almost have to be a fanatic, you know, mm-hmm. and emailing directly, trying to find out information. But especially in different elevations and different spots of the Northwest, all coming on and offline at different times, what you get at the grocery store, we just try to make sure it's big and sweet and crunchy and delicious and, and not get worried in varieties. Yeah. Crunchy is like the, the key for me, I think, with a good mm. with a good cherry. It's got to be refrigerated. Yeah, totally. That's the key. All of our refrigerated. Yeah. It's a crazy amount of effort goes into getting cherries. I mean, when they're picked, you know, all the boxes are kept in the shade anyway. And then you're they're loaded into a refrigerated trailer. And that refrigerated trailer then goes into um, a warehouse where they're offloaded and they run through like ice cold water bath essentially it's just you know it's like a, a car wash essentially you know um, without the brushes just ice cold water shut through the bins oh, no rinses, every, rinses everything and just helps pull the orchard heat out and then they're brought in the warehouse and then the, the bins are lowered into this gigantic pool of ice cold water and so the cherry's going to float along on these little these flumes so it's really gentle handling you know, it's like so a sushi they, train. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. So they in their flow, they go through these little you know water flumes, and then eventually they make their way through. It's a box the size of a car, and sometimes there's several of them. And each every cherry that goes through has anywhere you know up to a dozen pictures taken of it, and they can do everything from infrared to see if there's bruises underneath it to you know color grading to sizing to looking for defects. And they're all because they switch from uh, like an old, what you, what you see in your mind or picture in your mind as a conveyor belts. Well, now they're all of these little tracks or these channels with like individual tiny little cups that a cherry sits in. So it goes from the water and then the water is like flows away and you end up on these, you know, like it'd be a, a moving sidewalk coming out of the shallow end of a pool, you know. So wow. you just roll right out of that, but, you know, cups instead of the belt. And then you're under these cameras. And so you can tell that it's going to be a firm cherry. You can tell it's going to be a, you know, a, a sweet, you know, delicious piece of fruit. And then that goes down in that cup. You also know by sizing. So then eventually that little cup will fall out from underneath or be pulled back from underneath the cherry. And that cherry will run along another flume and take it out to the packing. So it's only, you know, let's say you're sizing as well. 
because it's such a harvest is an intense period of time. And, you know, right now you're, you're in a peak season. So it could be a half million boxes, you know, 20 pound box of fruit leaving the Northwest every day. This technology investment has been, I mean, it's, it's a huge investment on the growers part um, collaboratively, but that's the only way you can go through crops like that in such a short period of time. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's fascinating. I, I feel like I know so much more about cherries than right? I ever thought I would. And I'm going to have so many facts to share with friends about cherries for the rest of my life. And right. everyone listening hopefully can regurgitate this too. Um, like, wow, was... She really does like cherries. Yeah. yeah. Stuff about it. It's crazy. All she talks about is cherries. cherries. She's wearing a cherry outfit. Thank you so much. So we oh, thank end. Thank you. This has been fun. We end by taking a uh, letting out a deep breath together. So you ready? Yep, absolutely. Inhale, let it out. <sighs> Thank you. I hope I get to eat yeah. some cherries with you soon, or cheers some um, sparkling cherry wine. Um, absolutely. Preferably. Yeah. Let me know when that let, <laughs> let me know when that let it out sparkling becomes a thing. Great. Yeah. Absolutely. Our next collab. <laughs> you have a great evening. Thank you so much. You too. All right. That was my episode with Jessamine Stanley. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful. If you want to support this show, if you're still listening all the way to the end, please follow me on Instagram. I'm at Katie Dalebow or at let it out with three T's. Send us a message, share the show. If it was helpful to you, if you learned something, if you thought it was interesting in any way, please share it, send it to a friend. And Join the summer session of Creative Underdogs starting in August, starting next week. I would love to have you. Grateful that you're here. Let Jessamine and I know that you're listening all the way to the end by sending us the emoji, which for this week is going to be a plant, like any plant of your choice. If you want to take that flower, great. If you want to take that greenery, that's fine. If it's a tree, it's just like, really, I want to be loose with this one. So... That's that. I love you and I will speak to you next week.